electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. That gentleman is Jim Cramer. He's not here. He's at One Market in San Francisco. Carl has the morning off, but we'll be back soon. All right, let's give you a look at futures before we uh, get started here with our roadmap. As you can see, we are looking for a higher open in the broader markets after uh, a down week last week for the market. Our roadmap does start with looking for that rebound from that losing week. Sentiment, you know, getting buoyed a bit by easing COVID restrictions in Beijing, the White House as well, some positive things in terms of potential tariffs that may not take place. Plus, we're going to keep an eye on shares of Apple. They are down 17% this year. Investors, though, closely watching today's annual Worldwide Developers Conference. And Amazon's first stock split in 23 years. Remember, we talked about it last week. Of course, the uh, stock did rally into this split. Uh, It will trade in three-digit territory for the first time since 2017. Jim, um, you know, last week you said you had Elon Musk fatigue already. At some point today, we were going to sort of get to his tweet indicating maybe he wasn't uh, laying off 10 percent of the workforce at Tesla. But, of course, then we just got and you heard from Becky at the end of uh, uh, Squawk Box. We just got a 13D that stated very simply just is another move closer, in my opinion, at least. And those are the people that I certainly rely on to court uh, to go into court. I think it's it's simply as simple as that. You can see what's happening to Twitter share price. Um, And it comes down to this. You know, he has, of course, as we know, uh, made a significant case about the fact that he wants more evidence about the number of fake accounts on the platform. Um, Seems to maintain that it is far above potentially Twitter's estimates previously, estimates it has shared, by the way, in its public filings for years and says uh, in the 13D, Their latest offer to simply provide additional details regarding its own testing methodologies, whether through written materials or verbal explanations, is tantamount to refusing Mr. Musk's data requests, Twitter's effort to characterize it otherwise, merely an attempt to obfuscate and confuse the issue. Mr. Musk has made it clear he does not believe the company's lax testing methodologies are adequate, so he must conduct his own analysis and he needs the data requested in order to do so. He's not getting it. And uh, Jim, as I said, they seem to be getting closer and closer to court because, of course, he believes this is a clear material breach of Twitter's obligations under the merger agreement. I have to tell you, David, there are many people at Twitter who say, say, look, he spent a lot of time looking at this. He was satisfied. Uh, and suddenly he's not satisfied. That's the kind of thing that in court, in a real court, will matter. And David, specific performance, maybe we should explain that to people, but that would compel uh, Elon Musk to buy the company. 
Uh, maybe this is all to get away from specific performance, Dave. Does it have a leg to stand on? Uh, it's unclear to me that it does. Remember, he waived uh, due diligence. That was his choice. He waived business due diligence in order to get the deal done very quickly, uh, and he did. And so he was relying prior to signing that deal and the NDAs that came along with it, he was relying on public information. Um, now, clearly, he has plenty of data analysts at his disposal, uh, and one would expect that they are telling him something very different than what Twitter tells the world in terms of the number of fake bot spam accounts on the platform, Jim. I don't know what that number is. He clearly wants to know it. He was not able to ascertain it based on public information because he waived due diligence. And if they get to court, he's going to have to prove that this is a breach. Um, it could be very difficult for him to do in Delaware, but that would seem to be what he is setting out to pursue right now. Well, look, I, I think when you think about what's going to happen, a lot of the things that have happened to Elon that we hear about are with the SEC, which is civil. Uh, this will be civil, too, but there'll be a judge. There'll be an actual process. And I think that it won't be done in the court of public opinion anymore. So, David, I mean, it's entirely possible as flamboyant and as exciting and as great as, as Elon has been with manufacturing, uh, in a court, it, it, his buoyant personality won't play toward him. David, I, I look, I, I think no. that we're going to hear about this forever. and We're going to get lo- a lot more Elon we fatigue. Are, although forever's, forever's coming quickly, because remember on Friday we talked about this, Jim. They've already gotten Hart Scott. They passed it. There's not going right. to be a second request. The antitrust review here is done or is not is 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 not going to take long. Uh, so you could see a vote on this deal in within a couple of months. So it's going to play out pretty soon. And the next step, you know, I've asked this question many times already, which is why isn't Musk already in breach of the merger agreement since he's clearly Thank not you. using his reasonable reasonable best efforts as he's obligated to do to get the deal done. But there's been a choice made on the Twitter board not to push this not to sue him at this point, sort of take the offensive, so to speak. But one would expect it will end up in Delaware court. Now, to your point, and it's important when you brought up about specific performance, that is on the equity. In other words, he is obligated under his contract to come up with the money, the equity. There is one out for him, and that's the financing for Morgan Stanley. Uh, If that were to go away for some reason, no reason that you can think of right now, then he would simply be left having to pay a reverse termination fee of roughly a billion dollars. So that is his out. That said, he actually, you know, uh, is obligated to potentially sue Morgan Stanley to get the financing should they actually do that. And when you look at the sources of funds and how much cash Twitter is going to have and its EBITDA and its EBITDA margins, it's hard to imagine Morgan Stanley would in any way say we have un- we're uncomfortable with this. Stranger things have happened. But that's his only real way other than going to court and trying to prove a breach here, which seems to be coming down to this idea that Twitter uh, has vastly understated the number of fake accounts on the platform. The company would completely deny that. The company has over and over again researched this issue and shared their research directly with Elon Musk. There was a three-day period where they did nothing but show him what they needed and he needed. So when I read the Skadden Arps letter to Twitter uh, on behalf of, of Elon Musk, it's almost uh, phantasmagorical. 
I mean, he he was thrilled with everything he saw. Now suddenly he doesn't like everything he saw. The, the notion that you can somehow be as arbitrary and capricious as Elon has been will not fly, David, when it gets to an actual court. You can't just say, yeah, it's fine. No, it's not in a court. I mean, this isn't right. TV, for heaven's sake. This isn't Twitter tweeting that, you know what, I don't want to do it. This is actual law. And th- there's going to be a decision. The, the fact that the Twitter board is silent, I think, even reinforces the notion of, are you kidding, Elon? Don't you yeah, think you well, can listen, get away with Maybe this they're just waiting. At some point, and again, I've been saying this for weeks now, it would seem they're going to end up in court. There had been some hope, perhaps, that he was... Um, softening his opposition because it has been quiet for let's call it the last i don't know couple of weeks to a certain extent uh but clearly that's not the case this just up the ante um and again he's saying in this 13d if you're confident in your publicized spam estimates then why won't you uh allow me to independently evaluate those estimates musk is making even more of this jim than he had previously they're gonna have to end up in court they, they would tell you he completely already had a chance. He worked with them closely. David, do you think when you get to court that uh, hilarity works as a way to, to convince the, uh, ex- I mean, the, 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 the court there? I mean, if you're funny, is it, is it the funniest person wins? I don't know. I went to, I went to uh. Harvard. <laughs> Harvard Law School. We never discovered the, the role of comedy. <laughs> And winning. But this <laughs> one's it. Well, this is comedy. Yeah. You Humor's gotta love them, important. David. It's is it more comical than the spirit air? <laughs> the I, spirit oh god, air. we'll get to that too. I can't even say A little it. levity so never hurts, Jim. A little levity yeah. never hurts. Well, uh, I mean, all right, let's the market's been gloomy. Uh, we need it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you wanna move on to the broader market? Sort of give us a give us a feel for uh, what's going on and what your plan is in this entire week ahead, of course, that you've yeah, chosen well, well, to abandon me and be on the other side of the country. Well, I, first of all, I miss you terribly. I mean, that just goes without saying. <laughs> but I, I will come up and say I'm out here, David, because I was comparing it for a piece that I write from a no huddle tonight. I remember I visited Pittsburgh in 1977, the waning days of the steel industry. This what that's what I'm feeling out here. It's the waiting days. I mean, all people care about is software as a service with analytics. And, David, you know what? I'm done with that as a concept. I don't care about, you know what's another funny word? Digitization. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, they keep hitting you with that. Come up with something new that matters. Digitization. That's like the typewriter. I know it's very uh, early there to begin with, but... Are you getting any sense that, you know, next next trip next year is going to be to Austin instead of San Francisco? Yeah, I may have to go there. I've been up since since two o'clock here searching for something positive to say. And it's only cybersecurity that seems really electric. I think Austin might be a place of of, uh, of great enthusiasm. Plus, you have an Elon Musk facility there. David, out here, it seems very played out. Uh, wow. Internet companies we Ooh. don't care about. Price target cuts. It's just... It's a butcher shop out here. Well, you've still got a very strong week ahead of you in terms of the CEOs of any number of companies, many of whom I'm sure would disagree with that characterization, Jim. But we have some, I want to speak to companies that are making money. That's a new thing. Uh, Although I have to tell you, I'm speaking to Okta. Todd McKinnon is, is, is the stalwart of the losing money position that had been the dominant position out here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, 
Um, all right. Speaking of, you want to give us a quick uh, a quick thoughts about the market before we wrap up, and uh, sure. and we'll talk about Apple and that developers conference well, uh, I mean, after we the break. Yeah, well, we see a move in the semiconductors. That's to suck you in, maybe for the Thursday AMD meeting. We've got the Chinese government party, once again, the ruling party saying, you know what, we want America to lose more money, so we're going to give the uh, uh, the okay to Didi on cybersecurity. It's just one, another trap after another trap. Can the semis rally till Thursday? Absolutely. But, David, once again, I will point out, that there are so many people who want this market to go higher and hope, but hope should not be part of the equation, David. It's just so good. All right, but last week you were talking about a bull market and a bear or a bull rally and a bear. Whoa, I got to get back on camera there. Hello. hello. There we go. No, no, that's real companies, what are you David. Thinking? There could yeah. be a bull market in real companies, not companies that just do software as a, as a labor. I mean, David, if you're making money and you're giving some of it back to shareholders and your stock trades at a reasonable P.E., count me in. But if your whole goal is to say, you know what, adjusted EBITDA, we're making money. And then it turns out that there, that means that if you had to see how we're doing without paying anyone, we're uh, still losing money, but we're adjusting it to positive. David, alchemy is out. Alchemy's out and earnings are in. Got it. Yes. You've been saying that for years, and you've now become, June 23rd is your Exxon documentary. And you 22nd, become, 22nd, June 22nd. Oh, you moved it. But it's, <laughs> it's, now, it's now become uh, passe to say, you know what, we're going right. to lose a lot of money, but we're going to land and expand, and there it is. Oh, and you shouldn't yeah. worry about us because we are great. That is no longer the reassurance that I want. I want companies that make things and get paid for them. Is that too much to ask? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I want companies like and Exxon, June 22nd, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, baby. All right. They speaking make of money, uh, companies. David, don't they? Does they, Exxon make money? Yes. Uh, they I do. Like and in fact, yeah, that stock's approaching $100 a share this morning. We will keep an eye on energy. We're also going to keep an eye on Apple, Jim. Yeah. I didn't see Tim Cook up there on the board, but keep working at it. Keep no, working he, at he's it. He's in New York for the time 100. Benioff's oh. taking 50 of the, of the best and brightest for his. Got it. Well, there's an what empty time, seat right here. Tim Cook to wants there, to come David? join me. David, what time yeah. do you have to be there? What's the invite set? Where? Uh, oh, at the, the developer's conference? The Benioff invited Oh, Dude. oh, the thing I wasn't invited to. Sorry. Oh, yeah, you're making another Benioff joke. Those I'm are getting sorry. older. Yeah. Everybody knows that he he really likes me now. Develop he's, <laughs> he's Twitter to your Musk. <laughs> yeah, right. Too many fake accounts. All right, let's give you a look at futures. Uh, we got about 15 minutes before we get started with uh, a new week of trading. We'll talk a bit of Apple after the break. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Apple is set to begin its annual week-long developers conference just a few hours from now. The company is expected to highlight new developments surrounding its software for iPhones and a lot of other devices. Unclear, Jim, whether they will show off, as you just see there in the journal story, a newer version of the MacBook Air laptop, you know, or anything else hardware-related. What are your expectations? Well, I think that this event, like many things Apple does, uh, very secret. And the stuff that people are talking about, and maybe you could argue it's incremental other than the uh, AR, VR headset. But I think that Apple pays it very close to the vest. And the reporters who are, are claiming what's going to happen could prove to be quite wrong. Not unlike the analysts who talk about supply chain. I mean, Tim Cook, is it, he likes Splash. It, it, it's not incremental with him. So I think that the reports of, of what sound like a boring event uh, could be wrong. That doesn't necessarily move the needle with the stock. Because what's happened is, is that that whole narrative has been set by Katie Ubery last week by saying that the yes. numbers could be too high. I know. She was specific to the App Store, wasn't she, Jim? Yes. yes. I mean, look, China is virtually non-existent. Nothing is being sold there. I mean, I had uh, Sanjay Marotra from, uh, from Micron well, not that long ago. China's bad. And when China's bad, China's bad for Apple. They did say that they could have a $48 billion hit. But I didn't think the, the service revenue stream would be hurt. Katie Ubri's note is going to be uh, going to trump anything that comes out of this conference. And it's what people are all focused on and trying to figure out whether the numbers are too high. And they very well could be. Yeah. That said, I mean, Yunus Yoon was live from Beijing this morning on Squawk Box. Uh, may join us later this morning as well. Things are starting to happen there. There is people are going out again. Uh, there is an opening. Definitely. But you have to expect there to be a hole in the same way that the dollar was was too strong and now it's come off. There's a hole. And we have to try to understand how I mean, Katie, you said it, how quickly China comes back online. Those who are selling Apple here. Remember, I say own it, don't trade it, are really betting on the fact that it's that there could be more downward revisions uh, after this conference is over. Uh, the enthusiasm for the Chinese stock market today is breathtaking. Because it, the fools, it's, it's, it, it's pyrite. It's just fool's gold there. But Apple, I think numbers are going to come down after the conference. Yeah. Well, when it comes to the Chinese stock market, you have warned for some time. That said, it does appear that Didi and a couple of other companies are near the end of the review that's been undertaken. And that's why you're seeing strength, I think, across the board to a certain extent in many of the bigger names that we follow there. Well, there's a lot of people who think that it was a bogus review. And it was a bogus charge about cybersecurity. Uh, they haven't been able to suck American money in lately, so they have to do their best. I wish I were being facetious. And they'll do it. There'll be, some ma- there'll be money managers who come on our air and say it's time to buy China. And they are people who want your money, but they are people who don't know how to manage your money. So I say be careful. Usually a three-day move in China. Uh, we had a good move Friday. The move is going to be strengthened by GD. But, David, we just should warn viewers that the Chinese government is arbitrary and capricious right now. And those who want to come in, I think, will be disappointed. Uh, look, I think they're going to start doing IPOs again. Really suck you in, David. Yeah, well, you've pointed to those as well. But you can see, broadly speaking, many of the big cap Chinese names are going to be up. You also saw a 65% move up in Didi. 
and still it's only a $3 stock. That just shows, to Jim's point, the damage that can be done. Oh. All right, up next, get ready. You got a mad dash coming up, Jim. And by the way, Benioff invited me to the Time Gala, so ha. He did? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, you should go. Should I? Be fun. Yeah. Oh, you got to go. Okay. Every oh, soon. Awesome. I'm going to go. All right. I'll see you in a little bit. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. the medicines for obesity just didn't work well enough to be a legitimate option for people who suffer from uh, real obesity and um, have very high what we call BMI, body mass index. And so to get, get people under um, the threshold for obesity, you had to have surgery. Now you might be able to use a medicine. And that's just such a profound impact on their lives personally, but also on health outcomes. The CEO of Eli Lilly. I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, David Ricks, talking about that new drug, Jim, that really has gotten your attention and is the focus of your mad dash. Look, terzepatide may be one of the great blockbusters of all time. This is a drug that has been shown this weekend. The data came out. 20% weight loss, only 2% for the placebo. This could be a $14 billion drug in 2030. David, I see no reason why we shouldn't be on this. I mean, I'm on a drug, Lyrica. It raises your weight. I'm just going to go say to the doctor, I want this drug to complement Lyrica. Any drug that causes weight gain, I think, can be counteracted by this drug. Why the stock's only up five is a great mystery to me. This is it. This is the holy grail. You can lose weight without surgery. David Ricks, always understated. I'm overstating it. This goes higher. Okay. But uh, just to come back to you, because I, I know you, you are not, you're slightly overweight, maybe, maybe. You're not uh, the geez, population just... for a drug like this. Come on. It's for people who really have uh, problems with their weight. You do Am not. Am I really Jim. slightly overweight? No, you're not even slightly overweight. You're the one who's talking about going on this drug, not me. Well, no, I, I want this drug that I'm on. Get you, if you don't do anything, gives you about a quarter pound every single month. A quarter pounder, I'd rather have that be McDonald's in my stomach. All right, but back to the promise for this drug. No. It could replace surgery. You heard Rick say it. You think it's a real possibility. Oh, absolutely. Now, this is going to be a drug. For, for people who are obese, and I'm, you know, I'm going to kid around. I think that it will counteract other drugs. But if you're obese, which is a principal cause of death in this country because of uh, heart, heart attacks, this is going to be part of your menu. 
and I want to be sure that Medicare pays for it. I want to be sure that the company's data, which looks so unbelievable, uh, is brought out. Everyone's called attention to it. But there is a New England Journal of Medicine article which talks about how great this is. So the legitimacy is there. This is a home run for Eli Lilly. Actually, what it is, is it's a half-court shot that makes it at the buzzer. Got it. All right. We got an opening bell uh, less than four minutes away. Stay with us. All right, we get started with trading here in a little bit. Jim, uh, enough time to squeeze in one of my favorites when it's just the two of us. What do you see is the key to this market today? The orders, four, seven, GM five times. Can they rally? Because those have become uh, forlorns, uh, redheaded stepchildren. And there's some notes out saying that Ford's lineup is sold out. Uh, obviously, uh, you've got some issues with uh, with internal combustion engine versus yeah, versus electric. But watch those because their multiples are so low. They hold the key to this market. Okay. Thank you. And there you hear the opening bell here at the uh, New York Stock Exchange. Let's take a look at the real-time exchange back at our headquarters. By the way, here at the uh, big board, glass fabricator Techno Glass celebrating its transfer from the Nasdaq. Over at the Nasdaq, Avnet, distributor of electronic components, celebrating its investor day. By the way, also this morning, SIBO uh, Global Markets opening its new outcry trading floor in Chicago. There are four main pits, all trading options, the S&P 500, the VIX, Russell 2000, and Spider ETF, each in separate pits. We'll hear a bit more about that later in the show. All right, Jim, start us off. Where do you want to go here with the opening bell? I know that there is a lot of Twitter on we, but I, look, I mean, it, he is do, he does provide endless amusement. And I do think that we're going to have to stay close to Twitter because Twitter is kind of a metaphor for the market. It's a it's something, a deal that we thought was very exciting in an industry that is clearly waning, that people thought was uh, maybe he would reignite it. And instead, he does seem to be walking away. And I think it casts a pall over the market. Uh, but on the other hand, he's now not cutting jobs. We learned that that material information that he was cutting jobs is not right. So he's a, not a sideshow. He tends to be in the main tent. Always. I mean, again, you, you, you can't really have fatigue with him, Jim, because he's just too important as Mr. Musk. That yes. was in a memo. The memo was quoted by many news organizations saying that he was going to cut 10 percent or at least eyeing that. And then. The tweet you're referencing indicates that they're going to actually add staff at Tesla this year. So hard to sort of bring the two together. There it is. Total headcount will increase, but salary should be fairly flat. Last week, David, uh, we had Jamie Hurricane Diamond, right? We had Elon Musk. Elon Musk was a fitting coda to Jamie Hurricane Diamond saying things were turning down. Now, things aren't turning down? I mean... Yeah, yeah, David, I, I can't keep keep up with it, but I think that he was very important in the decline of last week. Yeah. And I think what he's saying now with Tesla is very important in the advance. Uh, it's just that we're, we're kind of not used to having one person determine things. But we've got one. <laughs> well, might as well. If it was going to be anybody, might as well. By the way, let's put up Tesla shares because I know we're looking at Twitter, but Tesla shares are up almost 4%, Jim, to your point on that. I don't want to call it a reversal. Let's clarification. I don't know. It's very hard to follow between his tweets and his memos and anything else that he does and his showing up on podcasts and never, ever talking to us, unfortunately. Well, David, have you ever read the book The Moon and, Moon and Sixpence by Somerset Monk? No, I have not. Okay. It's about an artist 
Charles Strickland, who, because he's such a genius, is allowed to do whatever he wants, doesn't play by the rules. This man is Charles Strickland of our day. It's a great book. Obviously, Musk is a great book. Uh, I'm sure that right now, somewhere, uh, Isaacson's doing it. But I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a person who just, frankly, other than Charles Strickland, and he was, of course, an anomaly's fiction, who basically says, you know what, nothing means anything other than what I say. And uh, I, I don't get it, but he's able to get away with it because no one knows what to do. Well, to your point, it will be very interesting when he and Twitter end up in Delaware court, as certainly seems a real possibility. One never knows. Would the Twitter board simply say, okay, we'll give you a price cut if you just stop? I don't know. I know nothing on that. I've gotten no communication lately at all that would indicate what their posture is, Jim. But the expectation would be, should they choose to say, hey, you signed a contract with us. You were the one who chose not to do business due diligence. And you're the one saying that our filings are incorrect. Well, we don't have to prove that to you. They're public filings. We've made them. Sorry. And they go to court and they say, this is in no way a breach. Mr. Musk, however, continues to maintain and seems to be building this this case, at least, that he has in his own mind, if nothing else, that the failure of the company to provide him with the data so that he can do his own independent verification uh, their behavior to date and their last correspondence in particular, Mr. Musk believes the company is actively resisting and thwarting his information rights under the merger agreement and is a clear material breach of their obligations of the merger agreement. So, I mean, this thing's set up now, Jim. You may, you know, we may see how far his charm, his humor, his power, his willingness to not follow rule, his, in, his unwillingness to follow rules will go in a court of law. Well, you know, there's, this, there's a CFO there, Ned Siegel. And we all have come to respect Ned. Uh, Ned spent a lot of time with the, with the Musk team going over these names, going over how many may be bogus. Uh, there was a complete agreement that, of a certain number and therefore a go, a go forward with the bid. Does that mean nothing? Does the 72 hours that they spent looking just mean absolutely nothing? Well, in Musk's eyes, it means nothing. Uh, it is remarkable, David. I've never seen anything like it. And yet, at the same time, you have lawyers checking things off. You've got bankers. Everyone's thrilled here to make a lot of money, except for David. You know who? Shareholders. The shareholders. Remember them? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Fifty-four Those. twenty. By the way, just to remind people, that's the price at which he is contractually bound to buy this company. A specific performance on the equity is a part of the contract. And again, the roughly $13 billion being provided by Morgan Stanley in actual financing, and remember, he got rid of the margin, finance, margin loan, uh, is the only question mark here, to the extent you want to say it's a question mark, meaning that if they were somehow to say, no, we can't fund, then that would give Musk an out. Um, Jim, let's move on to another deal. You mentioned it briefly this morning. Both of us sort of start to laugh a bit, but JetBlue's back. This time they're saying, we'll give you a, a bigger reverse termination fee of uh, $350 bucks. So that's now $3.20 a share. That means in what they say is the unlikely event, the unlikely event that this deal should not occur, is not consummated for antitrust reasons, we'll give you $3.20 a share. And by the way, when you vote yes on the deal, that's prior to the antitrust review, if you vote yes, we'll give you a buck fifty right away uh, as part of our consideration. There's a man. That man's name is Jonathan Cantor, former partner, Paul Weiss. 
He's the head of the antitrust division of justice. And I, I, will risk, I will risk a great deal to tell you that when it gets to him, he will reject this. He is very focused not on the breakup of the big uh, Internet companies. He's focused on stopping companies that are doing things that are anti-competitive. This is the most anti-competitive. Now, look, they spin everything, David. They try to spin me. Uh, I, I am not owned by them. I work no. for the viewers. And I want to tell the viewers, if you're buying into this, you ought to check into the body of work that Jonathan Canner has, because this is a no-fly zone. <laughs> uh, well, Robin Hayes was a guest on uh, Squawk Box. Of course, Phil LeBeau has continued a very active dialogue with the CEO of JetBlue. Let's listen to his thoughts on this. We've got an offer on the table today. We think it's a far superior offer. We want the board to uh, consider the offer and hopefully come back to us, recognize the superior nature of the proposal and properly engage with us. And uh, let's close the deal and create this new, great, uh, high quality, low fare national challenger uh, to keep the large legacy airlines in check. Jim, you know what a lot of this is really designed to do and it's playbook, by the way. Good job their advisors. It's designed to make sure that Frontier doesn't get the vote, the spirit vote. Right. That's scheduled for the end of this week. Now, it could very well be postponed, um, but they don't want them to get the vote on that deal. And so this is what this is designed to do that, prevent that vote or have it be a negative vote. But most likely, if it was going to be, they'll just push it. If I were Jonathan Canner, who, again, is the head of antitrust Justice Department, I would go to the West Palm Beach or to the Fort Lauderdale airports where there is tremendous competition on routes. It's really the only route that I know that is still a bargain. Why? Because these airlines are going against each other. Somehow, somewhere in a previous playbook, perhaps with a previous president, this would be uh, a good deal that might go through. But now we have antitrust, and antitrust is against this kind of deal. But the advisors, who all, of course, uh, make it sound like that it's not a problem, don't seem to understand that the landscape has changed, David. The landscape's changed. Yeah, I, uh, listen, you and I have been uniform in this. And, and, and by the way, it's not because I believe it on my own. It's because every single person I speak to outside of those advisors thinks at the very least it's going to take two years and it's going to get turned out. Period. Yeah. I mean, look, David, a lot of bankers have not had good quarters. I mean, come on. This is a this needs to be done. I mean, do you think any of the bankers are saying, you know what, guys, I know Canner. He's not going to accept it. No. Did you no, really no get on the that. phone with the Goldman banker? Did you really do that? No, I chose. No, I am a very no, open-minded fella. Right? I'm open-minded fella, but I'm also I was not I was born not born yesterday, and, and I'm not going to take the born yesterday posture. I studied with Arita. I studied Harvard Arita, the dean of antitrust at Harvard, and I am showing off, and my wife will hate me, and that's all I have to say. Okay. All right. We'll move on. David, the I can oils. stay in deal land. The oils, what? David. Oils. Go ahead. Talk about the oils. Tell me well, what. The oils are the battleground because right now there are people who genuinely think that the president can somehow lower the price of oil. We do have uh, them uh, getting rid of, or you know, we worried about the uh, tariffs on solar. Well, those look like they're going away. But David, your group, meaning Exxon, June twenty-second, uh, by the way, at, at eight p.m is the yes. focus of so much new money, once again, that there are people who just say it's not too late because the oil stocks still aren't enough of the, uh, of the S&P. David, your group, which is what I call them, 
uh, is ready for another move higher as we get closer wow. to earnings. Yeah. Wow. As we see ExxonMobil approaching 100 bucks, of course, Chevron is uh, down ever so slightly this morning. Jim, I want to come back to deal land. I'm going to do it in a favor report uh, Anna because plan? this and a plan, you got oh it. Oh, my you God. Know. The doesn't matter what, canal and a plan. Whether you're there or here, you know what I'm going to do. Uh, Toma Bravo cuts their uh, cuts the deal price. They agree to it. Anna plan agrees to it. It's done. And perhaps you can thank them because if there had been a leak or what Anaplan shares probably would have sunk a lot more than what is deserved for what is roughly a 4% cut. But it's still an interesting decision here by Toma Bravo in part because this is a company that is, uh, relies on their reputation as being the big buyer of technology, high, you know, high growth technology companies. And Mr. Bravo himself is an evangelist. He comes on our air oftentimes talking about all the benefits of going private. And so you always do wonder in these kinds of deals whether there's any reputational hit that the firm will suffer from as you take a look at Anaplan. Let me give you the reasons why they say they did it. Uh, By the way, it's 63.75 now. It had been 66 a share in cash. This is a very tight merger agreement, uh, by the way. Remember we were talking about merger agreements earlier? Well, this is really tight because he had... He basically was committed to the entire amount, whether he got financing or not. Uh, And he's got financing, but financing isn't even a part of it. Tight merger agreement, nonetheless, is what he said. Tomo Bravo and Anaplan agreed to amend their merger agreement to resolve a disagreement between the parties regarding compliance with certain terms of the merger agreement. Tomo Bravo asserted that these matters could have resulted in certain closing conditions not being satisfied. I don't know what they are, Jim. I wish I could tell you. I made a couple of calls. Nobody returned them. I don't know what those conditions were, whether it really was specific to Anaplan or not, uh, because that has broader ramifications. There are other deals that Tumba Bravo was in. For example, Sale. Sale Point. Take a look right. at SAIL shares. They're down in part because simply of fear as well. If they're doing this in Anaplan, maybe they're going to do it there too. If it really isn't as specific to Anaplan, what was it? I don't know. Uh, And so you got that stock down almost as much on a deal that nothing has happened to. And again, this is another deal in which Toma Bravo is buying the company. As for Mr. Bravo himself, you know, he was on, uh, Deirdre Trabosa had him on a couple of weeks back on uh, Tech Check. Um, And, you know, he continues to want to be the favored buyer of these kinds of companies in private equity. Take a listen. For us in private equity as a buyer and operator of software companies, this environment of five times forward revenue is the buying opportunity of a lifetime. There have been cheaper times in enterprise software. In the global financial crisis, we're buying companies at two times revenue. After the dot-com bust, it was one to two. But enterprise software is nothing like it was in the past. Of course, it's very different now than it was when they bought Anaplan, Jim, which was a high multiple at a top in the market. So they got 4% off. Well, David, I don't know the way uh, Toma Bravo does pricing, but I do know Frank Calderoni, who is the CEO of Anaplan. And Frank is one of the most honorable, he used to be at Cisco, incredibly intelligent people I've seen. The idea that there may be something that Anaplan did not show them that's hard for me to believe because Frank Calderoni, who, by the way, is a CFO, uh, is such an exacting and good person. I just cannot believe that this is anything that happened on the Anaplan side. Of course, maybe it is. But to me, it sounds like, David, uh, an opportunity to maybe buy it for 
kind of much more about what the the market's saying. Remember, the market does no has turned yeah. on companies that lose money. They've decided. Yep. And I, I listen to Mr. Bravo talk about great opportunity, and I say, well, he's rich. No, oh, yeah, he is. Listen, the Plan board said. After extensive consideration to revise the merger agreement, we did so to avoid the risk of lengthy litigation over the disagreement and provide increased closing certainty. Uh, so there you have it. All right, Jim. Um, Raise his eyebrows. Yeah, it does. It does. Let's, uh, we're going to go over now to the SIBO Global Markets because they have a new open outcry floor in Chicago, and Rick Santelli is standing in the middle of it for it. Rick. Yes, David. Who would have ever thought that in this day and age of computers, we'd be back to people? But it's a very exciting day in the city of Chicago for the SIBO and its first opening trade. People are pretty excited here, and the timing couldn't be better. Yes, the big S&P cash is up a little bit on the day, and as you look at a chart year-to-date in one month, there's some excitement here. Have we finally turned the market? Are we going to start to see more interest in calls than puts? Volatility's kicked down quite a bit. And not only do we have the big S&P cash index here, we also have the VIX, the volatility index, which is also noteworthy because the VIX last Friday closed under 25. It's the first time we've closed under 25 since mid-April. And as volatility goes down, there seems to be a whole lot more interest in selling puts and buying calls than vice versa. So as we continue to pay close attention to the Fed and to interest rates, maybe the big question that the pits are going to try to answer is, is it soup yet? Are we finally starting to make a bottom in equities? Has the Fed had enough guidance if the market's moved enough to push these pits closer to the bottom. And we're not going to find that out, of course, but we're not that far away from a Fed meeting. We have an ECB meeting this week, and we see that the dollar index has taken a big hit. And the reason it's taken a big hit is other central banks look to be raising rates, but we see these pits are dealing with it. And right now, the s and is up about 35, and many traders in this pit that are yelling or trading various increments of options. Whether it's overnight, we have option expiration every day, weekly, monthly, they have leaps on the long end. So options have been one of the integral parts as we open the market up to more retail, we see much more interest in options. Why? Because you can customize it to fit your strategy. If volatility is high, you can start selling options and if volatility is low, you could start to buy options, which we've started to see. Gary, Gary. I'd like to keep moving in here a little bit to see some of the action. You guys think the S&P's have bottomed on this move? I don't know. It seems like it may be, but you never know. I know, and that's one of the reasons everybody continues to jump up and down and fight it out. And it isn't only about computers. It's a hybrid system all set to incorporate people. And as you're looking at this shot, remember, Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. All right, time for the bond report. We'll give you a quick look here at how treasuries are faring this morning. You can see yields up across the board right near 3% on that 10-year note. We're back after this. Time to stop trading. Amazon. David, it, it is... Uh Chimerical as it is, Amazon stock is up almost $4 because they did a huge split. And what's funny about this, David, of course, it creates no value whatsoever. But here we go. Suckering in stock. And you know what? Look, I think the stock is probably overdone on the downside. I think Jassy, CEO, can course correct. 
But it's important to note that if you want your stock, you're one of these $1,000, $500 stocks, you're a loser. You should split your darn stock. Look at this reaction. It's really incredible. And, Jim, it's been moving up into this. I mean, we talked about it last week. Uh, right. It's not as though this is a one-day phenomenon. Well, retail has been shut out by all these uh, companies that cater to the institutions. Uh, why? Because, of course, if they're paying penny per share, then it costs too much for the institutions. But retailer wants to come in. The individual investor wants to come in. And I think the CEOs should, an- should look at what's happening to Amazon and realize how dead wrong they are to keep their stocks up in really ridiculous prices. And what's really incredible, David, is, is that whole thing's been going on for some time. And I think it's over. Google stock, Alphabet, is moving up big. Why? Because people believe that Ruth Porat, the CFO, will say, you know what? I see what's happening to Amazon. Maybe we should do a 20 for one. Next thing you know, that stock's going up right now in anticipation that they see what's going on at Amazon. David, this yeah. isn't how capital markets should work. But you know what? The market's in a strange place. Yeah, it's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned Alphabet because it is. It's up over 3% as well. Jim, uh, you're far away from home, but for a good reason. Uh, and by the way, we should point out you're waking up at like, I don't even know, probably not even sleeping at all because it oh, is Thursday still night, it's an all-nighter, 6 56 in the morning. Yeah, Thursday so night, who do you got tonight? Okay, I have a company that has had a good reaction to its earnings service now, a company that had a bad reaction to its earnings, CrowdStrike, and a company that had poor reactions to its earnings, Twilio. And let's see whether these companies are really doing, when you talk about Twilio, I think it's exciting. George Kurtz put up great numbers. I don't understand why it wasn't going up. Bill McDermott, of course, gigantic number of uh, big contracts. Stock has acted well. Let's drill down. Let's figure out what the heck is wrong out here. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll take care of business here for you. I'll go to the time thing. Thank you, Mark Benioff, for the invite. Yeah, and, and don't get Murray is a great restaurant if you're looking for a great time. Yes, it is. It's easy. You can't go wrong there. All right. When we come back, <laughs> have a great have a great rest of the day, buddy. Uh, when we come back, the latest on the new developments in, of course, that. Yeah, it's a saga at this point. Musk and Twitter. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.